Can you guys hear me okay? I turned my levels down a little bit on this one, hoping that it would cut back on the amount that the microphone is picking up. Did you did you get some lube, Dave? I did not do that. Did oh, not. David. We didn't lube the headset. <laughs> Always lube the headset. I, you know, the things we do to put up with podcasting. Just submerge the entire headset in entire, you know, a tub of lube. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, Shane, when I when we were talking about this the other day, was yeah. very snappy with me over chat because I said I don't think I was. I said I will go get some WD forty, and Shane said, yeah. "Well, that's not a lubricant. That's not a lubricant." And I was like, "What have I been doing all my life? What is it then? It's a cleaner." What? There's no way. Yeah, it's so it's like a lubricating cleaner. The the what's what WD forty is actually like gets rid of moisture. Like it's, uh, it's like a corrosion inhibitor. Like it's good for like degreasing or like breaking like things, but I would not use it as a lubricant. I would use an actual lubricant for that. So Google says WD-40, there's a question that says, what is it you mainly use for? It says protects metal from rust and corrosion, penetrates stuck parts, displaces moisture and lubricates almost anything. Yeah. So I guess it's like multi-purpose. It does the former much better than the latter. Let me let me tell you what my purpose with it was. When I was a kid, <laughs> we used to get a hold of a can of WD forty and with the uh, with the little plastic thing out the end, and then we would we would put a, a lighter in front of it and just have like a flamethrower coming off the end of the WD forty. Does, does that work? Uh, yeah. Don't do that, kids. Yeah, ki- kids. If you're listening in your parents' car or something like that, or you're just big fans of the dive down, we are a family friendly podcast. Besides Dave talking about makeshift flamethrowers, I used to do that with with uh, cans, uh, spray cans of Axe. That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine the smell. Are you an Axeman as well? Did you Axe? Used to be. Used to be. Stan is an Axeman. Stan still. An when I was in high school. I yeah, was. Stan. He likes that chocolate one. The chocolate axe sometimes. Do you, th- do you think Stan can get axe in the UK or is he axeless over there? I think they spell it differently in the UK. <laughs> A-Y-X-E. Yeah, A-U-X-E. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Dive Down. Three, three away from an arbitrary number, you know, 250s coming up. I don't, we're not going to, I don't know, maybe we'll do something special. It doesn't, uh, Devin, Devin O'Donnell, AKA Doomwake, does, is two, is 250, I feel like the hundreds are worth celebrating. I feel like 250 doesn't feel quite, it is half of 500, which is an immense amount, but that would mean that we're going to do this for another 250 episodes, which is daunting. You know what? You know what we should do for 250? We should yeah. record a 250 minute episode. Oh gosh! So basically, like you know, a normal so basically week. two episodes. Yeah, two. Yeah, yeah like a normal. an episode and a half, give or take. Ugh, I'll definitely clear that with the tower. Uh, Godfather Dave Harbarger, what do you think? I think uh, I think we're not gonna do much for 250 we did enough for 200 i can't believe that two it's already almost been you know they never thought we were going to make it this far and here we are yeah. time flies yeah the, the doubters the, the haters <laughs> the haters yeah the other the other magic the gathering podcasts they all hate us the people who own dive down dot sucks right right exactly yeah. yeah they are mean to us uh my friends good to see you all or both of you rather i guess there's only two is is two and you all do you think yeah for sure it's you okay. all. Good, technically, good to see both probably. of you. Technically, the way that WD-40 is technically not a, technically a lubricant, not but a lubricant. technically not yeah. very good at it. Okay. Uh, my name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado, by the way. So before we get into the meat of this episode, let's talk about heavy play. 
that new-ish card gaming accessories brand, improve your gameplay and your game day. By the way, all y'all out there, you have been using the code uh, Randy over at Heavy Play. Even said, you know, Randy goes to the Magic like events, the larger events, like I think the SCG cons and things like that. And hopefully he'll be down in Atlanta for the Dream Hack if we if we go down to there. But either way, we'll see him sometime soon. But he says people are coming up to him saying, hey, we heard about you in the dive down. We wanted to see the stuff in real life, maybe before we bought it. So we know you're listening out there. Thanks for supporting uh, Heavy Play and helping our relationship out. If you are not aware, playmats, deck boxes, card sleeves have enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection. The EquipMag system lets you magnetically attach your dice boxes, your deck boxes, your playmat, the ABCs, attach, bundle, carry. Okay, so... A couple, I got to come clean. A couple weeks ago, <laughs> I, I made it kind of sound like I came up with the ABCs when I was on, when we were on the show. That and, was spontaneous. Uh, Randy, Randy said, thank you for calling out ABC. It was super intentional. So it turns out <laughs> Randy is the good ad copy person, not me just off the cuff referencing movies and having fun. Yes, Randy is a pro. Uh, so this is potentially at your LGS. And one of our Discord people said that they bought it at their LGS. So it's there at some of them. Uh, or you can shop at heavyplay.com. And if you do, you can use code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 10% off of your first order there. Yeah. And as Shane mentioned, Randy is traveling around going to some cons. We're hoping that he'll be at DreamHack, but he will definitely, definitely be at SCG Con in Pittsburgh from November 10th to November 12th, which is, you know, about a week after the show comes out. And then he's also going to be at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia, December 1st to December 3rd. So go say hi to Randy there. Tell him the Dive Down sent you if you are at those events and you want to check out his stuff. Or, or Doomwake. Doomwake sent him. Oh, yeah. Doomwake. As well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. So what are we doing on the show? It's, it's our favorite time of year. Spoiler season. Yeah. New cards yet again for us to imagine where they will be in decks and to be wrong 90% of the time. But the Lost Caverns of Ixalan, there's some cool stuff waiting for us in these caverns. We've got treasure, we've got equipment, we've got mana. We've got caves in the caverns. There's caves. Yeah, double caves. Uh, we'll find Too out. Too many caves. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of caves. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Frank Karsten's most recent metagame mentor or his top 15 modern decks for November 2023. Interesting article. A lot of cool numbers. And if you know, at least me, I like talking about numbers. But first, we have a little bit of housekeeping. That's right. Thanks to new patron, Stephen M. Thank you for joining the Dive Down to support us. Uh, and thank you to all the people going off in the Spotify comments still. We got tons of people, EJMD, Varg91, Issei, Tony P, a string of random numbers, John F, who washed his four-color Omnath deck with Barrister and Man Soap. Don't do that, kids. Don't try that at home. Andrew E, Dr. Ali slash the Oil Prince, who said he knows Doomwick, William, RMSED, and finally, now with Bacon. It's a lot of people. Do you know the Oil Prince, Devin? I do. Yeah, no, it's not. That's, uh, I think it's uh, Dr. Snackbar in, in Twitch chat. So yeah. shout out to Snackbar if he's listening. Yeah. And if you want to be like Steven, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can support us at the store, thedivedown.com slash store. And of course, mana traders, if you want to rent magic online carts using the finest rental service on the net, manatraders.com, use sign up code thedivedown23 for 10% off your first two months there. So Dave, you wanted to talk about this metagame mentor article. I mean, I do too. I more saw that it existed 
and knew that you would want to talk about it. And maybe Devin would want to talk about it too. Uh, but mostly I knew that you would want to look at a table for a minute to get warmed yeah, up before we talk about cards. Well, I mean, this is, I think, a very revealing table. My favorite kind. Yeah, like it's like it's it's a glass table. You know, it's you can see through it. It's like one of those Noguchi tables. This is co- consistently what I say when I send a spreadsheet to someone in my in my work life. I go, I think you'll find this spreadsheet to be very revealing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that we've done the data merge. We've pivoted, and now we can have revealed things. Well, this. Uh... This revealing table, its data set is over 1,300 deck lists across the four Secret Lair Showdown qualifiers, the Modern 20K and ReCQ at MXP Portland, the Grand Open qualifier at the was it Legacy Series Sophia, the Modern 10K, 10K Trial, and ReCQ at SCG Dallas. And that's a lot of that's a lot of decks. That's a lot of matches. And Frank fixed the mislabeled archetypes. Thank you, Bless, Frank. Blessings upon him and his family. Doing God's work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they hired Frank to do these articles makes me so happy. Because before it was sort of like, we get some random Frank nuggets, and now we just have a steady source of Frank nuggets, much like McDonald's drive through They only come back so, once a year, though, at McDonald's, the Frank nuggets. Yeah, you don't man, get them. You get the Frank nuggets with that Grimace shake? They're on an opposite, uh, they're on opposite schedule to McRibs. A lot of people don't realize <laughs> it's seasonal it's only in france you get the mcdonald's pizza and the frank nuggets so we have a list of 15 decks we have their percentage of the field their win rate versus the field and then because scam is so maligned in the community right now there's a special column called record versus rakdos and you might not be surprised um, let's run down the field percentage i will say the record versus Rakdos does make me feel a little bit like uh, the wi- the wizard doth protest too much a little bit at this point <laughs> where it's like, okay, guys, <laughs> the numbers are here. Let's see if it changes anybody's mind. Yeah, I mean, this, it's, it's a, as, you know, as I said, it's revealing. And this is the kind of transparency. I mean, this is really from Watsi. This is on Magic's website. So Frank is sort of just the data and mouthpiece of this information. So I'm glad that they're sharing it. So percentage of field. You might not be surprised, Rakdos scam 18.5%, and its win rate versus the field is a very normal 52.6. Do we know if that number includes mirror matches? I'm assuming it doesn't, right? Versus the field? I would assume that Frank had took that out. I did not look into the article at this point. but it, It's on the sentence after where I mentioned fixing mislabeled archetypes. It says... After fixing mislabeled archetypes, I determined the raw metagame share and the match win rates, non-mirror, non-buy, non-draw of every archetype, both against the overall field and against Rakdos Evoke specifically. Love so it. he has controlled for that. Perfect. So yeah, not too amazing. Very modern, normal. And I'm going to go just kind of speed through these a little bit. We've got Rhinos at like 7% with a 51% win rate. Four-color Omnath, I'm imagining that includes the bean stuff. 6.1% of the field with a 53.8. Not bad, not astounding. Yogmoth at 6% with a 51.4%. And Is It Murktide, let's just round out the top five here, at 5.4% with a 47.7 Murktide win rate. Anything surprise you all here in this top five? The silence really. is deafening. I mean, I, I guess I would say I'm I'm actually kind of a little surprised that Evoke's win rate is only, I say only, but only 52.6%. 
Um, like looking at the rest of these numbers in, in terms of the matchup versus con- versus Rakdos, like there is some really low ones. Like there's, you know, there's a, there's a 43, a 45, a 47, others 39. So I would, I, I would imagine that number would be a little bit higher, but I guess not. Yeah, that's a good point. I think some of the ones that have good representation, I mean, we jump into the record versus Rakdos here, but in these top five alone... Rhinos has a 55% against Rakdos. It has uh, Four Color Omnath has a 52%, and Merktide as well has 52%. So just in the what is that about 17, 18% of the meta alone, there is some 50 plus percent um, right there. So that's not bad. Yogmoth at 43 is you know that's just I mean just to spoil it. Yogmoth at 43 is the worst performing deck against Rakdos in the entire chart besides way down like a bring delight thing yeah however it's worth noting that there are 15 decks on this chart like we said we've yeah. just listed out the top five includes so that includes Rakdos. three of them have positive win rates against it like devin said if you look down the chart every other deck with two exceptions has a losing record against Rakdos. so it's, yeah. it's a little more than just there's low numbers here it's every single other deck except for two which have very very good records yeah. against Rakdos, have <laughs> yeah, sub 50 right, yeah. against Rakdos. i mean but since we're talking about the record versus Rakdos, let's just get that off the table here what's interesting to me is that the worst is 43 at Yawk, which is not out of bounds for like what you would consider a polarized matchup in modern. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's 43% uh, against everything or Rakdos is winning 57% of the time against everything. Besides that, everything is between like, everything's like 45% at worst and many are above 50, like we talked about Omnath, Merktide, and then Rhino's at 55. We'll talk about the interesting outlier, two other outliers in a second, but this is not a ridiculous spread for what is considered like, you know, the most busted S tier deck in the format. And I think that that says something about perhaps that's one piece of data about why they might not have wanted to ban anything or make any changes to the format because overall, not only for scam, but for all of these decks, the win rates versus the field are like 55, 45% to like 54%. That is a really good matchup percentage spread, I think, or win rate percentage spread when you're talking about a format as interesting and as powerful as modern. Like, that's pioneer-esque. Yeah, for sure. No, it like you said, it, it definitely does make a lot of sense with uh, with that stuff, just kind of looking through these numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does kind of seem like a, like a coin flip here. Yeah. It doesn't seem too bad. However. However. People are still not enjoying it that much, right? I mean... The, but maybe it's just easy to talk about. I don't know. It's a Twitter. The, the prevailing mood still seems to be like, we hate Rakdos. We don't want to play against <laughs> it. You know, we, and then of course there were the, the memes floating around today with that, like the first seven decks in the challenge on October 29th oh gosh, were yeah. Rakdos. It was like one through seventh place. So it's very weird. <laughs> I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. That, that challenge was six in the top eight and 13 in the top 32. Ooh, yeah. The other challenges weren't too bad. I think it was 11 in the top 32 and then one had seven. So I mean, the other one were the other ones two were a little bit more reasonable, but yeah, thir- 13 out of 32. We haven't seen numbers like that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really does get back to kind of what you were saying, Doom, which is that, or I think partially what you were saying, which is just that there's a lot of decks that Rakdos has a slightly weighted coin flip against and then some that it doesn't. And there doesn't appear to be any particularly great way to target the deck. Besides, we have seen people been starting to do kind of what you've been doing. And I immediately was like, 
after you after our episode last week, I was kind of like, I'm just gonna start playing with like two main deck Shieldred, like in my scam. And other people had the same idea, I think, having seen uh, Shieldred sort of be so good in in the mirror in the first place, like in the sideboard, why not play one or two main deck? And I've seen a bunch of lists that are running Shieldred main, taking out like a Blood Moon or something like that, and you know, freeing up a sideboard slot for something else. And just having that powerful Shieldred main doesn't seem like it's a bad thing right now. Yeah, Shieldred is uh, is definitely one hell of a card. I think I think a lot of people's kind of big, obviously the biggest gripe that people have with with conv- the evoke, I was going to call it Convoke, with the Evoke deck, excuse me, is, you know, obviously the, the turn one scam draws. And, you know, you can, I think the issue for me is that, like, no matter how many cards that you sideboard targeting that specific turn one scam draw, it's like, they can also like just they just have the ability to play a normal game of magic. And yeah. I think that's kind of why these win rates are the way they are is, you know, a lot. It doesn't have the, the scam opening a lot of the time. And when it doesn't have the scam opening, it does kind of feel like 2017 Jund <laughs> yeah. where it's just a coin flip against everything. You know, it's like in that Ragavan into Dothy into Fable draws like those. You're going to have some good games involving those. So I think that's maybe part of why if maybe if that percentage of turn one grief was a little bit higher, maybe these numbers would be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about the two shining, interesting lights that yeah, there are that. in here. What do you got for me? See Dave? About. Well, there were two decks that stood out, I think, to a lot of people, one for its overall win rate versus the field and the other one because of its sort of surprising record versus Rakdos itself, uh, small sample size on that one, hardened scales. At 10th yeah. place in the overall meta share with 3.9%, but 58.6% win rate versus the field, wow. and a 49 and 23 record against Rakdos with, so for a 68% win rate here. That is yeah. wild. That's impressive. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's quite good. I think, you know, a, a lot of that is this Harden Scales deck. I don't know if how much experience you guys have playing against it, but it is really, really hard to play against. <laughs> yeah. Like you just, there's so many things that you kind of have to think about in terms of like how much damage am I taking next turn? If they have Arcbound Ravager, if they have a Harden Scales, if they have a second Harden Scales, you know, what happens if they have this? And there's just so many different things that you have to think about. And uh, yeah, that's that that's part of it for sure is that people just maybe don't have as much, much experience playing against that deck. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good deck. We talked about it about three or four weeks ago when I was like, I'm looking for a break. I want to try a new deck. And then I was like, I'm going to play scales for fun. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it's it's weird and challenging and and difficult for sure. But I, I enjoyed it. And it's cool to see that it's you know, other people are picking it up and also that it is actually pretty good right now. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many Twitter threads I see people where it's like, I complained, you know, first person complains about scales, second person says, or complains about scam, second person says, yeah, scam sucks. The third person goes, just play hard and scales. It's like every single one <laughs> now. So it's like, we are, we are entering the, um, what do they call it? It's actually a tempo format phase of modern right now mm. or something like, you know, you know, that the whole progression. Format. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it's too, it's a, it's a bomby format. It's a too fast format. No, it's a tempo format when we're talking about limited. So I don't, I don't know where we are in the progression right now. I do think that people who are upset right now should just keep in mind, like, you know, if we follow the logic of the way that we got a ban announcement two weeks ago, or the one that was like, we're not going to make any changes, 
We do have another window coming up on us extremely imminently with the release of Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I think if they still follow the logic of what they told us earlier this year, was, which was we're going to use time at the end of after each set comes out to potentially announce bans if we need to. So this discussion isn't over by a long shot. I do think these numbers certainly lend it, shade things a different, certain direction, but we'll see. Yeah, people in my chat were definitely saying, I, th- I believe it was December 14th, I think is the window for the next band announcement. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind. And I believe, I'm not mistaken, but I think that might be after the RCQ season is over, but I'm not mm. 100% positive. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hate to turn this lovely chart and article by Frank into uh, another ban or don't ban discussion. But I mean, when you look at these win rates versus the field and the win record versus Rakdos, it's like, what, what argument do you have besides prevalence? And th- that's the thing is just like, you know, what do you do to, uh, to, to attack it besides people actually changing the decks that they're bringing to these tournaments? Yeah. I mean, the other thing that the other argument that you have is, you know, we kind of posited that it's a three-legged stool last oh, time. Yeah. It was win rate, prevalence, factor. and fun. And so, you know, the the leg, the stool has one wonky leg and that wonky leg is fun. And so they might, you know, they, it might happen, but I still don't understand why we're getting so many. I mean, people like playing the deck, I guess, but the challenges that are just stuffed to the gills with Rakdos is still fascinating to me. I I, I don't know why that is happening quite so much. Maybe it's because the deck is better than the overall win rate. Like, is this going to be, we're going to have the the phase that's like, well, it's actually just really good in the hands of pros, you know, or it's really good in the hands of grinders, which, you know, a a couple of months ago it was, well, it's really good for people who don't know how to play, you know, kind (laughs) of like stories. So I I don't know. Well, we didn't actually talk about the other deck that has a strong matchup against scam. Well, who cares about this deck? Oh yeah. None none of us. (laughs) Mono black coffers. Who plays this? Mono black tempo. Mono black, yeah. mono black mid-range. So Mono Black not only has a 52.3% win rate against the field, a meager 0.3 less than Scam. It has a 58%, although the sample size is only 24 matches, 58% matchup against Scam. But Devin, I think uh, that you have said that the matchup has felt like an, a natural good one for you when you're on coffers, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially in the postboard games, because so I mentioned earlier how there's not a lot of sideboard cards that are good against scam, because if you plan too hard for the scam aspect, you kind of just get buried by, you know, their normal mid range draw. But when you're playing a deck with Fatal Push and Thoughtseize and you open on Leyline and follow that up with Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, that is the recipe for beating them. It's not just Leyline and nothing else. You yeah. need Leyline plus early interaction for their one and two drops. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of main deck shield or doesn't hurt, too. <laughs> no, best card in the format. <laughs> Apparently, I I, uh, I ordered my second one. By the way, so I'm I'm slowly building up my collection. Ooh, you know what? Now I'm wondering if we looking at this if we look at this table, which one of these decks can we add Shieldred to the next? <laughs> uh, Amulet Titan. Yog. 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 Yeah. I don't know. There, that's the stream tomorrow. Uh, Harden scales with Shieldred. <laughs> Just go for it. Mm. Maybe if we had Mox Opal. Yeah. Oh, uh, I want to call out a few more like interesting performers. Burn at 4.7% at 45.2% win rate. Don't play Burn. Stop that. Oh, it's just true. Just don't play it. We got uh, Living End at 52.4. Domain Zoo at a surprising 53.4% win rate. I don't think the sample size is huge here at you know, 2% of the meta, but it's doing just fine for itself out there as well. So yeah, I mean, basically play whatever you want. As, and if you're going to go to a tournament, make sure you're, you have something to plan against Rakdos. 
but I'm not, I'm, I'm not unhappy with this, with this data. Like, I think this is the kind of data I want to see, meaning in terms of not only the, the data itself, but I think the, the numbers seem very safe to me. Uh, the numbers seem kind of like a format that is mathematically and matchup-wise, at least, the, the kind of stuff that I'm fine playing in. Do I really want to keep seeing, like, 18 to 20% of the field be scam, especially in, like, the cool the challenges? I don't know, but that's, that's for the community to sort out, in my opinion, not necessarily WotC, but we'll see. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with your sentiments. Where it's, you know, if you're if you're kind of ignoring the percentage of field, just looking at the matchups and, and overall matchup spread, I think this looks pretty good. There's definitely, a, you know, a few decks here that have, like we talked about, a positive win rate versus Bractos. But yeah, like time will tell. We'll we'll see what happens. Maybe in December. Maybe it'll be after that. But we'll, we gotta let it play out. You know. Yeah, definitely. At this point, we're kind of in it for at least the next six weeks, and you know. But 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 we have so many new cards entering the format. So that, many that might just make scam the worst deck in the format, but not yet. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. But <laughs> I don't, you never I don't know. know about that one. There's been weirder things that have happened, I guess. But well, I don't think it's these cards. Dave, you did a bunch of work doing like the initial selection. Thank you very much. Uh, there's some cards that I did add later on. I don't know if you saw. I did not but, get a chance to look in again. Oh man, there's they're they're so spicy. But did you have any thoughts you want to say before we get into this list? I mean, I don't have a ton of thoughts. We covered we covered all the mechanics last week, and I, I don't think there was anything new that came out of you know any other coverage or spoilers that happened after we did the show last week. So I think that one thing I did was I did go through the spoilers and try to put them into loose thematic groups so that we can kind of just talk about things from like from a high level. You know, there are several different categories here. There's kind of just cards that might be good on their own that seem to be just kind of like pieces of something. That's the largest group that we have to talk about. There's also, of course, there's Merfolk. So we'll talk about Merfolk at some point in time and kind of try to figure out where some of these cards might possibly go. There are some boats. There are some combo pieces. And that's kind of it for the moment. Um, so that's the four buckets that we're going to be looking at. Good cards, combo cards, uh, Merfolk, and boats because I thought it was funny that they went together like that. Um, but there are some weird, weird things going on with this set. It does seem to be a little bit more of a lands matter kind of set than I was expecting, especially their, their caves archetype that they've added. Of course, Ixalan is always about like flipping permanence into lands or flipping lands back into permanence, which is kind of an interesting thing. I, I haven't seen anything that super impressed me on caves yet, though, I, though I, I'm starting to wonder if there might be something that happens there. Yeah, there's some surprising number of cards to me that like put lands in play or have like not quite landfall triggers, but like ways of like ramping or getting lands out of your deck. And so I, whenever that stuff is in a set, you know, you always have to sort of keep your eye on, you know, how much is this ramping? Is this a new way uh, of, you know, new value for the mana that maybe isn't in Pioneer already or even in Modern? So that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I'm keeping my eye on. There's even like and some semi-aggressive cards that, you know, are doing like treasure type stuff and we know the power of treasures. So I, I'm, I'm interested in some of these themes for sure. Yeah. Devin, any big picture thoughts before we hop into individual cards? Uh, I mean, as far as big picture is concerned, I am, you know, from the cards that I've seen so far, I'm a really, really big fan of this set with uh, regards to Pioneer, which is kind of my main focus moving, you know, as we get closer to Atlanta. And uh, I think there's a, a couple of players here, but I am I'm really excited. This set looks awesome. All right. So let's do it. So the first card I think we have to talk about in this set is called got a great phrase. 
I kind of wonder why we didn't preview this card, given the yeah, name right? of the card that we previewed the last time, which was out of the way. This card is called Get Lost. <laughs> and it is a, All right, I'm out. a generic and a white for an instant that says destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. Its controller creates two map tokens. Their artifacts, blah, 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 blah. We know what map tokens do now. The only thing I want to mention that I don't think we said on the show last time is that map tokens have to be activated as a sorcery to do the explore. I don't think we mentioned that. Uh, my bad. Uh, so this card. Oh, wow. That's much worse than I thought. It's way worse. It's way, way worse. So obviously, the card that everybody compares this to is Fateful Absence which creates a clue token and can target creatures and planeswalkers at instant speed for the same mana cost. So that's our baseline. People don't really like playing Fateful Absence. It's not a super popular card to play. It certainly comes up in certain certain sideboards and occasionally other decks in, in Pioneer specifically. How do we think this card compares to that card? And do we think that this is... Where, where do we think this fits in? I, I actually think this card's kind of correct. Okay. This card seems great. So, because it's explore it's, um, is so much worse than Clue, do you think it is? Well, he, so here's the thing: we haven't really seen, as far as like the deck list that I've been looking at, I haven't seen a ton of Fateful Absences in the Pioneer Blue White Control decks. Mm-hmm. But yes, this card, like giving your opponent two maps, I think is a lot better for you than giving them a clue because one, as we said, it's sorcery speed, so they can't like hold up mana and still end of turn pop, and two. There's no guarantee they even have a creature in play, exactly. especially when you're playing a deck that is Supreme Verdict. Right. Exactly. So if you can clear their board after you give them maps, and on top of all of that, it kills enchantments, which can yep. kill Leyline Binding, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, just to name a couple of you know popular ones in Pioneer, Enigmatic Incarnation. Mm-hmm. I think this card is just crazy for blue-white control. Yeah. So blue-white control, like the possibilities for blue-white control in Pioneer right now, you know, they don't have the same advantage generally that blue-white control-ish based decks or decks that lean in heavy into blue-white and modern do, where they get to really make sure that Leyline Binding is going to work, right? Like, but right. they still run Leyline Binding sometimes, right? Or not much. Sometimes. Sometimes. Not, not, most of most of the Leyline Binding decks are just the enigmatic ones that just play like, you know, a pile of Triumphs, because that's right. the only way that you can really support right. it is if you play like 12 Triumphs. Got it. Okay. So this is really like the new class of the two-mana removal for blue-white, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Love it. Yeah, I have nothing else to add. Those are my thoughts. What Devin okay. said, you know, it just it just hits enchantments. It hits. It's it's flexible. It's instant speed. I think the the drawback is not really a drawback most of the time. And even if it is, it's like what they they have to they have to work with what's already on their board, right? And I know this is like absurd to say because it's like you know, well, it could be a boat, like you know, like the next card off the top, right? But it's dealing with the known versus the unknown is still a big deal, right? So you, you give your opponent another unknown draw, it could be a, a much better card. You know, you're just dealing with like some piddly creature on the board and you're like, I don't really care if they even explore with this thing. Yeah, and like they don't they don't get to draw the card with explore even. They just get to see if they want the card. Like that's, that's really it or put it in their graveyard. Do you think other decks pick this up, Devin? Like, can this be played in a, you know, let's say, you know, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, like probably not like mono white humans right? Like who might want to have a removal, an an all-purpose removal spell like this. 
this probably can't fit in the same way because it doesn't have a supplementary suite of creature removal that makes the counters, if they go on things, matter less. Yeah, I was thinking a lot of the white decks, right now they play Destroy Evil, which is a card that can kill Shieldred or Enchantments. Mm -hmm. And this is similar to that, but it can also go after Planeswalkers. Now, that being said, there's not really a ton of Planeswalkers in Pioneer at the moment, Mm -hmm. with the exception of Green, of course. Like, really no other decks play, you know, a suite of Planeswalkers, so... Maybe, but as far as a sideboard card is concerned, I think you're probably better off playing Destroy Destroy Evil. So we really think this is control. This is a control deck card, probably, and that's kind of it for now. Yeah, pretty much. That's where I think it's going to be. Okay. All right. Well, makes sense to me. I kind of came into this discussion thinking this card was a little mid, but now I can kind of see see the error of my ways and see how it's so much better than Faithful Absence for sure. One last note on Get Lost. Like imagine, so in the scenario where your opponent is get to getting two cards off the map tokens, they're drawing two lands, right? Because they, you know, they map, hit a land, map, hit a land. And most of the time, you'd rather just have them drawing two lands than a random card. Yeah. Totally true, especially once you've established control with a Supreme Verdict or a bunch of counter spells or something like that. It's like, go ahead, draw blanks. I don't care. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about another removal spell before we get out of this mindset. I'm going to move okay. a little bit down the list. I would like to think we should talk about oh, yeah. Molten Collapse, which is a red and a black for a sorcery that says, choose one. If you descended this turn, you may choose both instead. Mode one, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Mode two, destroy target creature, non-land, or destroy target, non-land, non-creature permanent with mana value one or less. This card has had some wild conversation about it today on Twitter. People wondering if this goes immediately into scam in modern, for example, or if this really is just something that makes Rakdos mid-range just a little bit better in Pioneer and also means that you can play the deck a little more faithfully on uh, Arena as well, since Dreadboard doesn't oh, exist yeah, on Arena. Oh, we didn't have, have Dreadboard. That's a good point. I still, didn't think about that. Still don't have Dreadboard. Yeah. Well, now we know <laughs> why. Insane. This has been on the roadmap for a while. <laughs> yeah, they do. It was coming. Yeah. One uh, one thing that I like to do with Rakdos Midrange and Pioneer is just boot up uh, MTG Goldfish and go find misplaced Ginger's latest list. And looking at Ginger's latest list, there are zero copies of Dreadboard. Okay. So it looks like that card has mostly fallen out of favor in Pioneer. Uh, but yeah, if you wanted a copy of Dreadboard, this is a, certainly a massive upgrade. One thing that's really nice about it too is it kills Witches Oven and the sack yeah. versus mid you know, matchup, it's usually favors sacks specifically because of oven, and that could be pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Like, what else are we hitting here, really? Like, you know, it's it's easy to kind of overlook the non-creature permanent with mana value one or less, but like, what else it, with mana value one or less are we really worried about in a format like Pioneer? Like you said, Witch's Oven, I don't really, I, I can't imagine too many things but you know that Rakdos is really concerned with but you tell me so out of mono green you can hit their sideboard needle um when you're on the play against convoke you can actually hit their turn one like if they have inspector or epicure you can hit their artifact before they gleeful that could be massive Mm -hmm. that could definitely come up uh human sometimes plays portable hole trying to think i'm just going through all the top decks that's pretty much it spirits has the uh curious obsession that could come up but there's not a ton you're right. It's not yeah. a ton. So there's, there's, there's some added value, but it's not like blowing anyone's mind, especially when Dreadbore is not really blowing anyone's mind, especially in like a right. you know more powerful format like Modern. Like this is just not an option. Like the instant the instant speed of Terminate is what makes Terminate playable. Like you know you have to be able to take out like a Titan or something like that, or you know before it can attack or do something bonkers. Yeah, I I, I don't hate the idea of saying, hey, we're gonna have a two for one. 
right? This is a card that's a neat package. It's a two for one. And uh, if I set it up right perfectly, I can do something like I saw people talking about losing one of their merfolk and losing their Aether Vial, for example, in a single exchange, something like that. But I got to say, there's already a card that occasionally is a flex spot in Rakdos Scam that does that. And that card is Colgan's Command. Command Variety? Yeah, it's of the Command Variety. And the reason that I think that, at least in Scam, it's not going to end up filling in that hole is that with Scam, you also get to use that to get one of your cards back or make your opponent discard a card as well, you know, in case you yeah, forgot what the other two, two modes are. One. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot better. I know it's more expensive, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't think this is a bad card. I just think that this is a better Dreadbore for decks that want Dreadbore, and Dreadbore is not a modern power level card, unless you're playing like Niv to Light or something like that. You know, remember, remember it used to be in that deck. Yeah, one of the matchups that kind of that makes the most sense to me for this card in modern is hammer time, mm. but you can't afford to have a sorcery removal spell against hammer time because right. you just get destroyed by ink moth nexus. So yeah, just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it in modern, but I could see like maybe fringe cyber play and pioneer specifically out of like the mid deck against sack for oven purposes. Yeah. I will say one thing that's really interesting about this set that we, I don't know if anybody's talked about or like nothing has come across as cracked right yet is there is a lot of single mana equipment in this set. I think there's four or five different pieces of single mana equipment. So that might be something that's useful for standard in that sense, if there's an equipment deck that becomes big and you need to be able to kill their whatever. But we'll see. Like If the lens expands on the number of things that start getting run in Pioneer of that single mana variety, then maybe this starts to come up a little bit more. But um, I, I don't know. I, th I really, really want this, want to like this card because I like playing red black, but I just, I, you know, I don't, I don't think this is it. Yeah. It's not changing anything, I guess is what I would say. Can we talk about another card that I, I think is actually potentially top tier for at least Pioneer that you didn't have on list at all, Dave? Mm -hmm. And that is Inti, mm. Seneschal of the Sun. So Inti is one in a red, a legendary human knight, 2-2, two, two, reads, whenever you attack, you may discard a card, may. When you do, put a 1-1 one, one counter on target attacking creature, it gains trample until end of turn. Whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library, you may play it until your next end step. Okay, I think it's important to say that if you are discarding with Inti's ability, your next end step is literally the end step of that turn. It's not until the, your your next end step. But if you happen to have maybe some kind of like instant speed madness effect or something like that, then you would have it like through your next turn. Like if you were discarding on your opponent's turn or something like that, right? So I think Inti is good-ish, but I'm not sure how good because this is a very synergy-driven card, right? And and But maybe not. Maybe not super synergy-driven. Like it's potentially just a somewhat aggressive enough it kind of needs haste it kind of needs to maybe impact the board a little bit more but like it can buff a one drop immediately if that one drop has an attacking window that it can do or it can feed into some kind of like discard or graveyard strategy and like you sort of get the card back if you have the mana to spend on that card on your turn or if it's like a land you just get to play it lands are always really get good to get off the top of your deck if you're playing an aggressive creature deck, like if you're like some 19 or 20 land deck and you're throwing away one land that you don't really need and you're you know getting another land off the top, like it really makes your deck feel a little bit leaner. And I think there's a lot of value there. But I, I don't know how much value Inti is really offering. I just think it's doing some cool stuff. 
and supporting some interesting ideas. For sure. When I when I saw this card, two things immediately came to mind. The first one was the first line of text where you can discard a card to put a counter on an attacking creature, and it gives Trample. That with Hardened Scales, because I've been working on kind of a red-green Hardened Scales deck in Pioneer, and the synergy there is you have Voldaren Thrill Seeker, which is the backup thing that lets you fling stuff, yeah, so you yeah, can yeah. like make a th- big thing with Scales and then fling. That could be good in that deck. And then the second line of text, whenever you discard one or more, exile the top card you may play until your next end step, works very well with Pia. So if you like, you know, play this, play a Pia, attack with this, discard a card, hit a land, play the land, get a one-one. So those are kind of the two places that I um, that I that I see maybe this card being good. I, I think it's pretty sick. The only issue I have with it in Pioneer specifically is it doesn't do- it doesn't pass the Bone Crusher test. Yeah. So that's a little sketchy for me. Yeah. I mean, if it gets one attack in, it can right, but that's still asking a good yeah, amount. Yeah, that's true. That's still asking yeah. a decent amount. Yeah, and it doesn't do anything when it comes into play. It's not like discard a card when it comes into play or no. when it attacks or something like that, which would even start the uh, start the old ball rolling a little bit earlier. Yeah, it feels like a little tuned that way, where it's like you know you this has to stay on the board for a minute. Like you're not going to get an ETB that does the same kind of support. So I, I wish it did. That would feel quite good. That would feel like a real big enabler. This sort of feels like an enabler that is. It exists and it does something, but it's it's not like I don't know if it's a card you can build around, but I think it's part of like an overall strategy, like you said, Devin. But maybe it is. Like maybe in something like Pia, like this is just the missing piece that was needed to to push it into like a, a real player. The scales idea is really neat because of the counter synergy, of course. So I mean, my impression of this card was I like all the text of it. I don't know where it goes in Pioneer because it's clearly not strong enough for modern. And then Devin mentioning Pia made me go Oh yeah, well there is there actually is a red red aggressive deck that might want this card and and loves impulse effects like this. So maybe maybe that is just a good home for for that. Uh, just a reminder awesome. me that I need to be playing some Pia in uh, <laughs> that seems like my kind of deck. They've actually evolved a little bit. They're more like Naya focused with questing druid. I think you'd like that. Oh nice, is. yeah, that sounds sweet. Yeah. Devin, do you want to pick the next card maybe from this first bucket that oh. you want to talk about? Oh, I'm glad that you asked, Dave, because <laughs> I would love to talk about the ancient one. The ancient one. Know this is uh, this is this is Shane's favorite archetype, but we'll, oh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, this is the ancient one is blue black legendary creature spirit god. Uh, it is an eight eight. That's right. That's you big. heard me. You heard me correctly. Two mana eight eight. It has descent eight. This this card cannot attack or block if you have eight less than eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard. So you have to get to eight. Less than and eight or pay. more. That's a really weird way to phrase that. Yeah, I think I think it was a translation. Oh, okay. And I copied the translation and it might have might have got copied over wrong. Yeah, because uh, yeah, that's kind of a weird way to... When I read that, I was like, wait, what? And then uh, two blue, black, draw a card, discard a card. When you do, target player mills equal to that card's mana value. Mm. Uh, so two mana, eight, eight, that is, you know, a little hard to attack or block with, but... The card that I want to pair this with, we don't need to attack or block with it at all. Uh, so people may remember this card called Fight Rigging, which is a three, three mana enchantment. Yeah, Shane definitely knows. Three mana enchantment, hideaway five, which is ETB, look at the top five, exile one face down, Resco on the bottom, and then beginning of combat, you can put a counter on target creature you control. Then if you control a creature with power seven or greater, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. I have spent, uh, you know, 
endless amounts of play points and, and tickets trying to make this work in Pioneer. And we've had to do it with like really bad three drops before, like Shakedown Heavy and Rotting Regisaur. And what's really nice about the Ancient One is it just curves so perfectly. You don't need your elf to survive. You just go turn two Ancient One, turn three Fight Rigging, hit an Ulamog, your opponent's dead. Um, so I, I really, really do think that this might be the card that, you know, maybe finally makes this deck playable. What do you guys think? I hope not. <laughs> I have n- no idea. I have no idea. When you said Fight Rigging, I was like, yeah, I kind of remember that card. So this is it. This is the card that's going to turn this into something. Maybe. Simic Fight Rigging. Why not? Yeah, like fi- it's got to be Sultai. Fight. That's what I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I meant Sultai. Yes. Uh, fight rigging was like one of those blights on my arena experience. Like after fight rigging came out, it was like a pretty popular. I don't know if it was like. I mean, it must have been Explorer. So like some kind of fight rigging deck, and I would just like face up against it all the time. And they, I feel like they always had it. And I was just like, this is not. This is not what I want to be doing with my play experience. But on their end, I'm sure they were like, this is exactly what I want to be doing with my play experience. So what else is in this deck that you've tried in the past, Devin? So so it goes into Ulamog, like that's what we're looking for. Or, and and it, is it Atraxa too? Or like what else is in there? Uh, Yeah, Ulamog Atraxa. The other one that I played a lot was Valky because the nice thing about Valky is you can just kind of play it on curve. It's like a two drop if you don't have the fight rigging. Mm. You can just play it as a two minute two one and get some information on their hand. But yeah, Valky, Ulamog, Attracts are kind of the three big ones. And then past that, it's just protection for the combo. So you have Thoughtseize, Fatal Push. You're, you know, a, a, essentially a black-green deck. You get to play the good black interaction. Uh, it was playing Elves. And then before it was playing, you know, the the other three mana big creatures. Again, Rotting Regisaur and Shakedown Heavy. Um, but yeah, this is... So the nice thing about Souls compared to the other three drops is before the kind of the nut draw involved, you had to go Elf and then play either one of your three drops or fight rigging on turn two, have your elf survive in that case, and then play the other one on turn three. But now, even if your elf dies, you could just say, go turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Ancient One, and then turn three, play the rigging, and then, you know, just immediately go from there. Right. Um, now, it's a little awkward because they can still Fatal Push your Ancient One because it is a two drop. So it's not like you're free from Fatal Push. You are still a little weak to that, but uh, Thoughtseize can help clear that up. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm I just love fight rigging. I've been always been in love with that card and I'm pretty excited to to try this one out. I mean, it feels like it fits right into what you're talking about, though. Like I can't see any, you know, who knows if the deck is actually going to fit in the meta and if it's going to be the right thing. But I can't see too much downside with putting this card in there to try to close that gap. Like you can probably even get to a point where you get deeper into the game where you can attack with this at some point right like i mean i know you're trying to combo people off but maybe you get up to eight permanents you know with through some alternate game plan you know people killing your elves and other things like that i, I don't know yeah and if you're playing the ulamogs and stuff you can just get rid of the ulamogs from your hand to mill 10 you can do that too oh right yeah exactly the four man ability yeah it's got to be mill that that um, ability most people are probably going to be using to mill themselves i i I'm sure. Like, I mean, yeah, I probably. think people are going to be like, yes, I can do whatever, mill my opponents and kill them. But that's 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 not what this is for. This is to try to turn your ancient one on for sure. You can discard your Emrakul, mill yourself for 15, and then resolve the Emrakul trigger after the mill. Love it. It only I takes know. four mana, an Emrakul, and an ancient one in modern. I never, never want to see this card ever. Could happen. Don't watch my stream then. <laughs> Devin, what, what else What else is uh, piquing your uh, interest so far? Let's do Souls of the Lost. So this uh, this one had a lot of buzz on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw. A lot of people were talking about this one, but it's uh, black and a colorless. It's creature spirit. It's a star, and then star plus one is the toughness. Sounds and familiar. Then it says, yeah. Oh. 
Tarmogoy feature heart out as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card, or sacrifice a permanent, and then its power is equal to the number of permanent cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. Uh, this card's sick. It there's so many things that it enables, like you know the kind of the level one that a lot of, I, I saw a lot of people talking about was turn one Stitcher supplier, and then turn two you just sack this and you fill your graveyard up for the, at least seven cards. Right. Uh, but yeah, God, this card's so sick. Right, so you can reasonably get to, let's say, probably a four or five on turn two, right? Like sometimes you'll roll go- good and you'll get something more than that. I guess depend. I guess it depends on what your deck is made up of. It could just be all permanents, I guess, if you're mostly if you're not playing a lot of spells. So you can make a big attacker on turn two. The one thing that I thought was interesting that I saw Maria and another person from our in our chat talking about was using Souls of the Lost to enable Vengevine in modern, as in the same way that you can do it with Insolent Neonate, so that you can actually make it so that the discard, like if you manage to cast a one mana creature and then a Souls of the Lost, discard the Vengevine to it, you can bring back the Vengevine with that trigger still because there, at any rate, there's a way to sequence it so that you can just use that trigger to bring Vengevine back immediately and attack with it right away. Huh. Hadron Crab. I like that. Hadron Crab, I think, was the the card that actually someone said, the one drop that they were using. So imagining Crab Vine as using Souls of the Mm. Lost as a way to have this be a big body and also just another way to fuel discarding from your hand in a way that makes sense. I mean, I love this evil, like, bunny corn thing. This is great. It's like the, you know... It's, <laughs> it is it's... an evil bunny corn. <laughs> yeah. Shane, what do you want it to be named? Um, well, so I know the art does not feature this, but I feel like the description, it should be like a creature skeleton. It'd be like just swole skeleton or something like that. Because like, it feels like a skeleton card to me. You know what I mean? Like playing with the graveyard, that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to call this swole skeleton and no one's going to know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to let it pass since today is the day before Halloween. And Thank you can you. talk skeleton about skeleton at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting swole, babe. Yeah, I want this to be called David S. Pumpkins. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Any questions? So, so this card, we think actually good. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the other spot that I think it's really good in, and or potentially good in, as um, is Grease Fang. So Grease Fang is really kind of lacking on ways to get Parhelion out of its hand right now. The only card that it really plays is Rafine's Informant. Mm-hmm. So not only is this, you know, a two mana discard outlet, the discard Barhelion that curves nicely into Grease Fang, but it's also just like an additional threat. If they're answering your Grease Fangs, you just have this this big doofus on the battlefield. Um, so I could maybe see it potentially being uh, being good in Grease Fang too. And that's a deck with a lot of permanents and not, not a lot of spells either, right? Like they, oh, yeah. yeah. So that's something where this could get huge. Okay, there you go. Grease Fang. Sweet. All right. I would like to talk quickly quickly about one card because i think we need to talk about it even though i don't totally understand how it works and i don't think any of us are titan people am i right about this oh no we're not primeval titan people i know what you're i know what you're i know where you're going but i I do think we need to talk about the card spelunking which is too generic and a green is it spelunking or spelunking i mean i've always heard it or said it as spelunking 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 in the same way that i called it uh our arbor what Oh, uh, Arboreal Grazer. Arboreal Grazer, and people went wild in the comments. All right, so Spelunking. Two generic and a green for an enchantment. Uh, When Spelunking enters the battlefield, draw a card. Hey, that sounds familiar. Then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you put a cave into the battlefield this way, you gain four life. This will never be triggered ever in any of the games (laughs) that we care about. What's that? So it's Uro. It's Uro, right? It's Uro at home. Three mana Uro. And then it says, lands you control enter the battlefield on 
tapped. Okay. And I would like to know, Dom Harvey, of all people, on Twitter has said that he believes this is going to be a player in Titan in some form or another in Primeval Whoa. Titan. And I don't know a lot about this, but it feels like we should recognize and maybe clarify and move on. Um, I guess that what this is is an additional copy of Amulet that lets you choose if you would like things to come into play tapped or untapped, depending on how you stack the triggers on the cards. Like, I think this is essentially a three-mana value amulet slash explorer is what this this is. Okay. Still costs three mana. Yeah. It's it's weird. So, I think the way that it works, as far as, as, far as to, to my knowledge, and what I've kind of been told in chat, we all know that, you know, Twitch chat is right about everything. Right. So, what I've been told is that it's a replacement effect when it comes to the bounce lands, because the bounce land says enters the battlefield tapped, and this says lands enter the battlefield untapped. And to my knowledge, I think what you can do with replacement effects is choose which one you would want to apply. So if it's the instance where you have, say, a spelunking and an amulet, you would, you know, if you have two amulets, you would prefer your lands enter the battlefield tapped. So you would choose them. You would choose for them to enter the battlefield tapped as opposed to untapped. Now, I don't know if that's 100 percent how it works, but that's what I was told. And it, it kind of made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that so what this just becomes is sort of redundant copies of amulet even that kind of save you if you haven't gotten real amulet online so you if you can have a board state that is a single amulet and one of these you can do some extra stuff as well it's when you have two amulets that spelunking becomes something you do not on its face want to have around but at that point you can draw a card and play an extra card and so it does give you that trigger it does give you the explorer as well but i actually think we should stop there so that we don't get ourselves into any more trouble. <laughs> yeah, with we don't any get in the hot water people. with the amulet fans. I just want to give an old tip of the hat, a tip of the the Boros Garrison <laughs> to the amulet crew. If we start saying wrong things about amulet, we might get demonetized. So. Exactly, exactly. People might buy URLs, mean URLs about us. Um, mm. A card I would rather we'll talk about from from here is Restless Vents. Ooh. Okay. So I have been watching the recent like new creature lands. I, I haven't really felt like any of them were too great. I know we talked about Restless Bivouac with Woe and all that kind of stuff. These ones haven't been too interesting so far, but this red-black one I think is pretty good. So let me read it real quick. It is Enters the Battlefield Tapped. Uh, if you play it with Spelunking, it won't do that. Uh, it is it taps for red or black, and it has an activated ability that's a generic, a red, and a black, and says, until end of turn, Restless Vents becomes a 2-3 black and red in insect creature with menace, and whenever Restless Vents attacks, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. Yeah. Love it. Seems good. Excellent card. I mean... Yeah, I think the Rakdos decks in Pioneer will just absolutely adore one, at least one copy of this card. You don't want to play a ton because it's ETB tapped, but just the, a shoe into those Rakdos decks, I think. Yeah, it's a funny thing to, to look at this and go, wow, we have better creature land still because we have ones that come into play untapped in certain conditions. But that second trigger is really kind of eye-opening, especially for these mid-rangey decks that actually don't have a... I mean, they have Fable, but they don't have a ton of other ways to kind of continue to have velocity through their decks if they run out of gas. And so having a land that gives you a little bit of that for basically no extra cost just seems very very good i don't think there's any shot that of course this gets any play in modern but um you know probably not you know it's it's crazy how long we've been beating the drum on those uh those 
the AFR lands. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane to me how the like it just every single and those you play in multiple different formats too. Just a really, really, really awesome cycle of cards. Yeah, gonna be tough to beat. It's gonna be tough to yeah. beat until they make another one that comes into play if you have less than two it comes into play untapped unless you have two other if you have two other lands or whatever but um yeah i think this card's very good i think it's gonna be the best one out of this cycle as far as the formats that we care about go yeah i like it it works with uh that two mana red thing that wants you to discard cards so just play it there yeah and i think i do think the azorius like bird one is pretty good i think this one's probably better i don't know where the azorius one goes but i think it's like fine isn't that just a four four the bird yeah what is it no it's like it's only like a two three but it's i think it's only three mana to activate oh okay, okay. so but it flies then you get I think you get a map when it attacks. yes you get a map yeah mm, okay it's not bad i have a card that i kind of like but i also kind of don't like it's enterprising scallywag one in the red for a two two goblin pirate creature at the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, create a treasure token. That's it. But this is like some decent ramp for a goblin deck. Like, I don't think this is like a modern goblins card. I think Pioneer might have a little bit of a harder time descending because there's no fetches, but there is Skirk Prospector. But like, I don't know if goblins needs the mana like this. It just it just seems like an interesting card that's easy to enable, but I don't know if the payoff is particularly amazing. I don't know. Like, I guess if, if Snoop could use this, like if you know that's revealed, but I don't I don't really know. I just think it's an interesting card. I just think it's neat. It's it is kind of cool, you know. You know, you definitely mentioned it, Pioneer is kind of where you would want to play this card, but with the lack of fetch lands, it is kind of difficult. I really wish to me that when I read this card, I really wish that it would just trigger whenever a permanent, like whenever it just descend, whenever permanent leaves the battlefield, make a treasure, and then have it only count once each turn. But basically, like if you got the treasure up front as opposed to end phase, I think this would be a lot better. Yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely... I'm trying to think of the Pioneer version, how many sack outlets. I guess they have Fanatical Firebrand, Skirk yeah, Prospector. Yeah. So really about maybe... It when I was looking through yeah, lists. Maybe the Pioneer deck... Maybe the Pioneer deck could, the Pioneer deck could want it because that's trying to ramp to like, you know, some like Den of the Bugbear and stuff. So I, I could see maybe maybe being playing Pioneer. Yeah, it's 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 just a card I wanted to point out. I think it's interesting. I think Goblin's people will probably test it, but that's just one of those decks that has so much density of creature types it's i mean it's like goblin creatures it's just like well what the heck you know how do you make room like what is that to be better than and there's a there's it, right now it's i think it's pretty streamlined to have what it needs most of the time those aggressive goblin decks are better than you think they're more popular than you think like i looked on like mtg decks i believe um just to see what people were doing with goblins of pioneer and i was like wow like these are doing fine and they're you know there's decks up to like yesterday on the list. Like I think especially in like East Asia, I think I saw a lot of, you know, decks from tournaments over there. Uh, but you know, they're, they're doing things. So. Yeah, it's a good deck. I, I actually played the goblins deck on my stream on last Thursday, lost playing for a trophy, but it felt pretty powerful. Good deck. Sweet. I think any card that makes treasure over and over again is always something to like, keep an eye on. Yeah. Anyway, man, man is helpful. <laughs> for me, this feels a you little bit know. more like, uh, it's going to end up in the like treasure matter, EDH decks, but we'll see. Yeah, I feel like it's, Not des- much it's designed that. more for that, probably. Yeah. All right. Two quick cards left to talk about in this just good cards category. I am going to throw this one to you, Devin. Glimpse the core. 
Glimpse of the Core. All right, perfect. So this is green that's and a colorless sorcery. My favorite sorcery. Brian DeWan album. <laughs> green and <laughs> a colorless sorcery. Cut. That's really deep. Deep, deep cut. Choose one. Search your library for a basic forest card. Put that card onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle. Or return target cave from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Uh, I would imagine most of the time you're not going to be getting a cave back from the battlefield, but... Uh, for astute listeners at home, this is the first two mana. I, I would say unconditional, but it, it does only get basic for us, so there is technically a condition on the card. Uh, but this is the first rampant growth we've had in standard in I don't even know how long. I can't uh, the believe last one that's I can, true. I can't believe it's yeah, true. Yeah. The last one I can think of was the dinosaur one from original Ixalan, but you needed to reveal a dinosaur from your hand, so it's not even like you, you still had to have an extra card in your hand. So I don't exactly know what this enables yet in terms of Pioneer. That's kind of where my head goes with a lot of these cards. Um, but this is the first two mana, you know, search for a land card with no other conditions. So I don't know what that means. I, when did we decide that Rampant Growth was too OP? That's what I'm curious about. I mean, I, I guess it is, but it's it's interesting. Know. Yeah. It was in M10. It looks like that was the last corset printing that it had. I think Farseek was M12, but past that, I think there was nothing else. Oh, Rampant Growth is in M12, too, by the way, looking at Rampant it. Rampant Growth, so, okay. Yeah, it just missed being in Pioneer, uh, actually, a little bit, a couple years, I guess. But yeah, that's interesting. So is this card just good enough to go in? Like, what what deck is going for this in, in Pioneer? I guess, I guess you said you didn't know where it really fit or what this enables. So it's not like it really enables Monogreen Devotion or something like that. It might be something else that wants to ramp using this. Yeah, like you're not going to want to play this over something like Woeful Haven in Monogreen Devotion because you much prefer the, the actual Devotion pip on. Yeah, exactly. But there have been some decks that I've been trying to work on that involve like Dry to the Elysian Grove and Scape Shift along with Dread Presence. And they were really missing that kind of like two mana, you know, ramp spell so that I could see decks like that. Uh, maybe something with Omnath because searching for a land is really powerful with Omnath and we don't have fetch lands and pioneers. So is, is this that much better than Growth Spiral or is this like something you play along with Growth Spiral because like you get the guaranteed land versus like Growth Spirals, like if you have a land or draw a land with it? So if you're playing a deck, like if you're playing a dedicated ramp deck, you would much prefer this card to Growth Spiral because you just want, you cannot afford in those ramp decks to miss on having a yeah. land. And if you cast Growth Spiral and don't have a land that it's too detrimental. So you would have to be an extremely dedicated land-based ramp strategy. So, you know, I, again, I'm not 100% sure what that looks like. But it is some added consistency with like putting a bunch of lands onto the battlefield. The one card that kind of comes to mind with this that I'm thinking about, and the more that I kind of analyze it, is the Eldrazi Soul Land that you need seven lands in the battlefield to make it a soul land. You guys know what I'm talking about? Hmm. It's um, Battle for Zendikar. It's yeah. Uh, it's the, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, it's like Temple of the Ancient Gods, or it's like a reprint of that thing, or. Oh, Shrine. Shrine. Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what it is. Yeah. So it's a tap for a colorless or tap add two if you have seven or more lands. So just having actual lands in the battlefield is some sort of like mono green Eldrazi ramp. Um, maybe the theory is there is you can just go over the top of mono green devotion with Ulamog. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have to see how that shakes up, but maybe something like that. Interesting. Cool. All right. The last card I wanted to talk about in just these things don't really have a category. Helping Hand. This is on Earth but white. So it's a single white sorcery return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Uh, 
I don't know what this is for, but it's interesting <laughs> that they finally printed this card. Um, Unearth sometimes gets some play in modern occasionally, but that maybe that's because it is cycling, so it has a floor yeah. to go with it. But um, I don't know. It's just interesting that it exists to me. I guess. Yeah, like, when do you really use cards like this? Like, they're really only for like combo style decks, right? Because you're not going to bring them in against like a removal heavy deck just to like one for one each other to death, I imagine. Like that's kind of a losing battle, I feel like, versus just trying to overrun them. Yeah, I mean, the big one in, in modern or one that people like to play around with, I don't know if it was ever a big one, was Lightning Skelemental. Was like, oh, you can Lightning mm -hmm. Skelemental, then it dies, then you unearth your Lightning Skelemental. You know, there were decks that were built around those three drops where it was like, I'm going to play with Skelemental and I'm going to play with um, uh, Seasoned Pyromancer and then kind of yeah. go from there. And it's just kind of like got a lot of targets in my deck, makes it good. And all of the things that it targets are kind of two for ones, you know, but th that was never a great thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, Monastery Mentor costs three, yeah. but I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing, ever. One thing that I, I heard brought up in Spike's channel was this card with Ranger Captain of EOS. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, ETB 3-3. Three, three. You can either sack it to make it so they can't play spells, or if they just kill it, then you just get it back for one mana. That could be pretty powerful. Yeah, I've actually seen that uh, even with Unearth at different points in time when people are playing Marty Shadow for a little bit, where it was like Captain and Hex Parasites and, you know, Shadow. So then all of your key pieces can be brought back with Unearth as well. I don't know. Yeah, if you were playing some sort of like Heliod deck that can't afford to play black for Unearth, this could be this this could be something that you want access to. Yeah, we'll see. It's just interesting that they printed this card and color shifted it after all this time. Well, honestly, the the best home that I thought about it for was Grease Fang, and then I realized that you put Grease Fang into play tapped, and that doesn't work out the way you want. Yeah, it to. that's not so helpful. Don't play this in Grease Fang. <laughs> that's not helpful for you. You want to talk about some bad Merfolk, Dave? Yeah, let's move on to to Merfolk. Mm. Um, I, Why do they have to be bad? I, I think that this first card, a lot of people think it's not bad. I have, I'm very curious about it. So we'll, we'll come back to the other two that are just creatures later. But this card, which I have from a translation right now, is called Tishana's Tidebinder. Two generic and a blue for creature merfolk wizard. It has flash, and it says when Tishana's Tidebinder enters the battlefield, counter target activated or triggered ability. If an ability from an artifact creature or planeswalker is countered this way, that permanent loses all its abilities as long as Tishana's Tidebinder remains on the battlefield. I am a 3 2. It's a lot of words. This is a lot of words. This is a stifle on this is like mm -hmm. a mystic snake stifle is what this is but it blanks the card for the rest of the time that tidebinder sits there yeah um it's like split card of stifle and o-ring which is kind of cool yeah it's a cool design i think this is a really interesting card and i think you know a lot of people are excited about this for modern you know other, lots of merfolk people i saw nikachu talking about it on twitter we had a, a nice thread about all the different stuff that you could target it's a lot of different stuff you know it's like you can target the ring's uh, fog ability and counter it and make ring not work the entire time that Tidebinder is in play. Oh, that's sick. I didn't even think about that. I mean, there's there's other stuff like this. You can target Leyline Binding with this. You can target the triggered count, the triggered ability of Sigarda's aid to make it not work anymore when this comes into play. No. Modular no, Arcbound Ravager? Hang on one second. You can do it with, with Arcbound Ravager for sure. So Sigarda's Aid can't do it. You can't target Sigarda's Aid, but you can stifle Colossus Hammer equipping to something with this, with 
because it's an artifact, um, you can't target an enchantment with this. But at any rate, there, this is one of those cards that when you look at it, there's lots and lots of little pieces that I feel like it's interesting and tricksy enough that it might actually get some work done. I mean, it still is a three-mana Merfolk Wizard. That's a three-two. With Flash. So, with, well, yeah, that's, Flash. That's what I'm saying. Is like, yeah. So, like, this, uh, this is probably viable in Merfolk. Like, because who else is leaving, like, mana up for this type of play? I think, right? Like, I, I don't really think this probably is going to see a lot of play elsewhere. But I think it's, like, I think it's a cool option for the fish. Yeah, I was thinking about, I mean, probably not Murktide, right? There's almost no way. It's like a sideboard card against Ring or Heavy Planeswalker decks. I don't know. But that deck does hold up its mana a lot. So I could maybe see something like that. What about like Prowess? <laughs> Where I'm like holding open, you know, like holding open mana. Oh, it's Seek the Beast? Yeah, I'm thinking, of, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm thinking of that build of Merfolk, which I mean, essentially the Seek the Beast stuff is Merfolk. Like this could right. could pair with that kind of questing druid thing as well to be, to tempo people out. The, another thing that Nikachu pointed out that, you know, it counters the comes into play ability of evoke elementals and then blanks them the rest of the time that they're sitting True. there. So yeah, it's still a creature, but they might have just pitched two things or whatever to make it like it's there's all kinds of stuff with this card. It does. It's got a lot of text on it. I'm just the one thing that I'm curious, and I don't know maybe how Merfolk decks are built these days. I'm wondering how many three drops they play, or like which ones they would want to cut for this. I'd have to look at a, a deck list, but yeah, you can't play too many three mana cards. Um, but I mean, in your Aethervile deck, it's like another another really flexible tool that you get to hold up with Aethervile, and you just get a lot of utility out of it. it it's it reads powerful to me for sure. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I mean, I I just wonder. I'm sure the Merfolk folks are going to try this out. I just wonder if um, there's a possibility that other decks pick it up, like you said, as well. Other decks, like maybe maybe it is Merktide or a version of Merktide that's more instant uh, enabled or something like that. I don't know. but Possibly. 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 I mean, maybe you're blinking this with something. So you bring it in, and then when they, when they try to kill it, you ephemerate it, bring it back, get rid of a different thing. I don't know. Kinds you're of saying it's soul herder so I, I am kind or of saying soul herder yeah <laughs> where's spike we'll have to ask Everett about soul herder builds i know but. Uh, i know right <laughs> okay outside of a card like this one th next? thing that people have been talking about in merfolk for forever is can we have some one mana tutus please and now we kind of have two of them with the card cenote scouts which is a single green for a creature merfolk scout that when it enters the battlefield, it explores, and it's a 1-1. One, one. So there's the one from original Ixalan. Kumena's Speaker. Right, and now there's this one. And I think that's cool, but I don't think that, like, I, this is not what modern Merfolk is really about anymore, in my no. opinion. Like, modern Merfolk is a pretty reasonably tightly constructed, like, tempo deck right that uses blue cards as much as yeah. it can and then uses lords and those lords stack up on top of each other and that's it but there's not really room in there for a one mana vanilla attacker um to my knowledge yeah. i'm actually I, I don't know if i haven't looked at a recent list but i was fairly convinced the last version of merfolk i saw didn't even play four lord of the atlantis and four master okay this list now does but there have definitely been points in modern where they don't play the full eight lords and that kind of just goes to show you that 
that's not where we're at right now because right. there's so many furies going around. You can't just play all these one minute tutus that don't have abilities. You have to play stuff like Tide Shaper to mess with their mana, Trickster to have you know Silvergill. All the every single one of these has ETBs for a reason because right. otherwise you just get blasted by fury. Yeah, Tashana's Tide Binder, for example. Anyway, yeah. Um, but so it did make me wonder a little bit. Okay, in a different world now, all of those cards are modern, are uh, pioneer legal as well. The green ones are, and the mana's worse. But we also have we have cavernous souls in Pioneer now as well. Are we going like Simic Merfolk in Pioneer, and is that a thing? Well, Dave, I'm glad that you asked because <laughs> I actually have uh, <laughs> this is this is I I love the fact that they're pushing Merfolk in the set because I have been working on a Merfolk deck in Pioneer for quite some time that because you get to, you do get to play eight lords in Pioneer mm-hmm. because you have Merfolk Mistbinder and you have the two mana one one flash one. I can't remember the name of it. Hexcatcher. Mm-hmm. So you get to play eight lords. You get to play all these. And what the deck was missing before was another one drop because we were playing four committed speaker. And we had to play some really bad ones. And uh, I think this card is just about perfect for that Pioneer deck. And I, I will be uh, at Cavernous Souls too. I'll definitely be playing a lot of that in Pioneer. Yeah. And we're just beating down with like, is this just a creature beat oh, yeah. down deck like it's not as tempo-y as the modern one can be even though it shares some of the same cards right think of it as a two-color humans deck yeah more like that kind of vibe yeah but it gets to play coco so it's like it, it there is there's definitely some trade-offs yeah mm-hmm. yep all right so Sonote scout fits directly in wherever you want to do with your merfolk go for it go for it go for it i guess but probably not in modern since the modern one's about something different uh, the last card I was going to talk about was Niskanzel Current Conductor, which is green, blue for a 2-3 Merfolk Scout. It's an explore payoff. I don't think that this... I think this card reads as powerful, but I think it reads powerful limited. Powerful, actually. I don't think there's... Busted uh, and limited. I, yeah, I just don't think that anybody's going to be playing decks with enough explore triggers in yeah. them to make these things... To make this happen. You know what I mean? And like that's too bad explores an interesting mechanic but it's just not foundational enough across enough sets for a card that pays you off so hard for exploring to do it so you know use this signpost on common well but it's probably not going to be a thing in in pioneer even i agree all right i wish yeah but all right so we're 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 getting pretty deep on this right now anything in particular jump out to the two of you that you want to talk about now that we're off the merfolk chats i mean i think there's some really interesting like combo-y pieces, right? Like, I mean, I really want to talk about the Millennium Calendar, which is still one mana legendary artifact that reads, whenever you untap one or more permanents during your untap step, put that many time counters on the Millennium Calendar. You can also pay two and tap it to double the number of time counters on the Millennium Calendar when there are 1,000 or more time counters on the Millennium Calendar. Sacrifice it and each opponent loses 1,000 life. So I just like the idea of someone having like, you know, 1,000 beads from like their 1995 era Magic the Gathering deck. But I mean, I this can kill people, right? Like this is, even though it's 1,000, it's like ridiculous. Like not only are, I think, are there, I think combos that kind of are just written on the tin more or less, like we've got all v one, which is uh, three red, red. When enchantment, whenever you put one or more counters on a permanent or player, all will be one deals that much damage to target opponent, creature an opponent controls, or planeswalker an opponent controls. 
So what you can just like untap permanence and hit your opponent a lot. Like it's not it's not an instant kill like thing, unfortunately. But it's it's not an instant kill. It just puts consistently takes advantage of the counters and makes it go faster than the counters that going you know than getting to a thousand. I'm sure there are some very clumsy multi-card combos that could like make two mana and untap the Millennium Calendar. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what those are off the top of my head, and I'm sure they're probably at least three cards or something like that. But that is just the funny stuff I can see happening. But I, this is like a this is a control finisher. I mean, I don't think it's going to do it. I don't know have the math on how long it takes even to do it. Do you have some math, Dave? Oh, how long it takes to do it? It's nine turns. And that's starting from what? From turn one? From, and you hitting, hitting your land drops or something like that? It's nine total hitting your land drops, activating it every turn, okay. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You could have more permanence, though. The more per- yeah, if you start, if you don't play it on turn one, you can have more permanence later and then get more stuff. But yeah. I don't think this is probably anything. I just think it's really funny. I mean, here, here's the weirdest thing about this. This is a saga target. In in modern, oh, you can you can God. tutor this up with with Urza Saga. If you figure out some way to unlock it, you can also play land tutors in your deck to to get it if you really need it. But um, you know, I don't know what the answer is there. I'm just making an observation. You lost me. So I, you you were in it before I said it was a Saga target. Here's <laughs> no no I, I've been out for like the last two minutes. <laughs> here's something I thought was interesting though. Okay, so whenever you untap something during your untap step, okay. Let's say you have something that is just like a really easy sort of tap-untap combo. Like you don't have to do anything with the tapping-untapping. If you can do that at instant speed, not during your main phase, like you just, during your untap step, you just like start flickering like your two permanents you have that are just like tapping and untapping each other. You could just put unlimited amount of counters on your Millennium Calendar and win. Uh, I don't, I don't. I don't think that works for what it's worth. Why not? No, it actually does. does the it? way it's worded, it says when you untap one or more permits during your during untap, your untap step. step. And your untap step, you do get priority. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the way that it's worded, it would work like that. Now, maybe there's some, oh. maybe there's like a translation thing. I don't know if yeah. this is an English card or, or what, but yeah. it actually would work if you have like two, like a thing that says untap target permanent and you have like Fate Stitcher, for example. If you have two Fate Stitchers, you just go boop, 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 right. boop. And again, the way it's worded, that would work. I so. could be wrong, but I thought about it when I read it. And you can saga target, you can saga Millennium Calendar up to go with your Fate Stitchers, since that's a modern card and not a Pioneer card. Well, it works with Cure's Follower, which is the Pioneer version of Fate Stitcher. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good for content. There you go. I didn't realize it. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Cool. See, interesting man, I'm a brewer card. now. <laughs> Give me on Faithless. What else do we have in this in this section? Market Gnome, I think, is good. You highlighted that, Dave. I think it's a, just a good card. Market, yeah. Market Gnome. I mean, I'm surprised it's in the combo thing. I think it's just probably, I think it's just a good value card, right? Like, Well, okay. So Market Gnome is a single white for a 0-3 artifact creature gnome that says, when Market Gnome dies, you gain one life and draw a card. When Market Gnome is exiled from the battlefield while you're activating craft ability, you gain one life and draw a card. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if this is really powerful enough to be a value card anywhere. Really? Not really. But I do think that if you are crashing artifacts, sacrificing artifacts. A lot of people talked about this in Oswald Fiddlebender, for example. I don't know if that's a real deck or not, or could be a real deck, but this is a pretty good piece of sacrifice fodder if it draws you a card every time. If you could figure out a way to loop them or make them part of the beginning of a chain or it can help give you some velocity and that kind of thing. But um, I do think it's the best gnome since bottle gnomes, 
for what it's worth. <laughs> true. Yeah. Very, very true. Right. Well, did we count Mutavault? Because Mutavault was a gnome after Bottle Gnomes. Mm, but Mutavault was every Mutavault's the best everything if we do that, right? Best Merfolk too. Yeah, it's probably it probably is. It is kind of nice that thing is like this is just an O3 for one mana, so it does block pretty yeah, well for sure. while also providing, you know, good sacrifice fodder down the road. So I mean if there's a type of deck that wants if they're like a white sacrifice deck, I, I definitely could see this being a player. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen people play somewhat worse like sideboard cards that are just like gain life and draw a card like you know like filigree familiar i've like seen see play and i'm like really we're playing filigree familiar out here but i guess so yeah all right a block a different combo card that people have been throwing around amalia benavides aguire which is a 2-2 vampire scout for a white and a black it has ward pay three life whenever you gain life amelia explores then destroy all other creatures if power is exactly 20 that's the whole text on the card this this combo arguably broke Twitter for like, you know, eight hours or <laughs> could, whatever. Could yeah. go longer, when please. Todd tweeted about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, this is an infinite combo piece for Pi- Pioneer, and it only takes a Wild Growth Walker to go with it, and then it just goes off, basically. That's a combo. Um, so it kind of only takes two cards, but theoretically they you need another piece to start the chain you either have to gain some amount of life or trigger explore because the two cards just by themselves do not shade each other oh i see yeah so you need something to actually start the ball rolling and that's i I, you would not believe like the amount of questions that i got in chat (laughs) as to like the day that i was streaming after todd posted that because i was playing pioneer that day too and everybody was just coming in a chat like is this that good is this that good is this that good uh the answer is i don't know Maybe the fact that the, what I really like about the combo is you can hit both pieces off Coco. Right. That's really That sick. makes sense. So if you can like find, if, if you can find some sort of Abzan company deck that wants to sack stuff and explore and gain life, um, like this thing, Zulaport Cutthroat starts the chain. So I've, I've been playing some like green, black Tyvar sack deck that, you know, something that, that could start the chain. Um, I could see it. I'll definitely play with it because it does seem like, and even the card itself, like two mana, two, two, ward, pay three life. That's like not that bad stats. Right. Fragile. Fragile. But I like it. Interesting. I like the next one. Bartolome del Presido, a 2-1 white, black, legendary vampire knight. Has some of my favorite text. Sacrifice another creature or artifact, colon. No mana payments. No tapping. Mm. Mm. Put a (laughs) One one Delicious. put a one one counter on Bartolome del Presido. Pres- I think it's pres- pres- Presidio. Presidio. Yes, Presidio. Thank you. Okay, so I I don't know what piece of this is a combo. I just know that this card is good because you don't have to pay to sacrifice, and I'm not sure where it goes or how it lives or what it means. But this is just a good card, yeah, right? It's, it's a two mana sacrificer. Like people were playing like Woestrider for three mana. Because it just sacrificed, although they did come with the goat token. But this gets really big, too. But Devin, I feel like you have ideas here. Mm. Oh, I definitely do. So there is a, uh, a white-black deck that I posted on Twitter, but I think it was like a month ago when I 5 would with it. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was uh, right around when Soul Cauldron came out. And it was utilizing the backup mechanics. So you had um, the two white... There was a white-black deck, so you played... The Enduring Bond Warden, which is a 01 that has backup one, and when it dies, you move its counters on something. And then the black one, which was Scornblade Berserker. So it's an 01 backup, and then you could pay one to sack it to draw a card. So you have all this backup stuff with counters. You Those cards both happen to be human, so you combine that with Thalia's Lieutenant. 
to put a ton of counters uh, and then you have other humans that move counters when they die and then you also have soul cauldron which works incredibly well because all of your stuff has plus one plus one counters so you can exile like priest of forgotten gods and you just have five priests in play now because everything has counters on it you play the ozolith in combination with the sack outlets because you can just like sack all of your stuff with counters on it dump them on the ozolith the kill condition previously was cartel aristocrat which is uh, white black 2-2 sack a creature gave it protection from a color of your choice so you just like sack your board combination with ozolith one shot them but Bartolome is like actually perfect for the deck because it's white black it's expect especially with soul cauldron it's so perfect because it gets counters in itself so if you have a cauldron in play with something underneath a cauldron you're good to go you just have all the other abilities and then it's like the just uh it's when you have cauldron with this card underneath it it turns all of your stuff that already has counters into just free sack outlets uh this card is just this might be my favorite card in the set wow i love it it's so good but yeah specifically with cauldron it's like it's just absurd with cauldron yeah it's it's this type of thing where you uh you feel like it's gonna feel similar to the first time you play with uh walking ballista under a cauldron right where you're kind of like wow i can just do everything i can do anything (laughs) because of this ability that's been added to my creatures that have counters so um, yeah it's like no matter how they block they're dead right doesn't matter right yeah the the counters are big game here like i think it's costed well the fact that it's not just like a scry like whoa strider like there's a lot of weird counter synergies in these colors especially i think this is just going to do some really cool stuff love it I'm going to play a lot of this card. Can't wait to see it. All right. Well, one, I have one last card. Does anybody else have anything else they want to talk about? I want to talk about the I last card image. that was dropped in. Yes. I want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to talk about that one? Yeah. Okay, perfect. That's the, okay, because I added this one in. I'll read it to you because I added this one in last minute and we didn't, I, I think we didn't, I don't even think we had this card when we were doing the notes earlier. So this is Squirming Emergence. So it is black, green, colorless for a sorcery it has fathomless descent which is return to the battlefield target a non-land permanent card in your graveyard with mana value less than or equal to the number of permanent cards in your graveyard so it's a reanimation of sorts but you have to work for it now one thing that's worth noting it does not say target creature it says non-land permanent so if you have some sort of powerful planeswalker or artifact or enchantment this returns fable um, returns the the one ring sure does yeah like this card just i i don't know exactly where it goes but three mana for a mostly assuming you can fill your graveyard unconditional return anything from your graveyard to the battlefield this card has to be good somewhere wow fetch lands too fetch lands just fuel it like if you just go fetch 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 you are three permanents in the graveyard you know yeah i can see the wheels turning in in dave's and shane's head right i mean i i I, I didn't even notice the non-land permanent part of this until when you mentioned it just now. I just assumed that we were going to be trying to find ways to bring Atraxa. Like everything to me is like, okay, that's not decks that I play. People are going to be try to are going to try to break Atraxa and bring it back with this or something. Maybe it'll be something else. But it does feel like when I look at this, I'm a little bit like, is there a way? Like, do we play this instead of persist? Or something like that in some decks, but Persist is so much faster, so maybe it's not that kind of thing. Like maybe this is really more pioneery. But I agree that just given that it's a mostly non-restricted uh, reanimation spell and it only costs three mana, it's probably going to end up somewhere. This is this is solid. I mean, the restrictions are not on the card type. 
which is important, right? Like it's not like a non-legendary, it's not a legendary, it costs a lot more. I mean, it costs one mana more than like a persist, right? But of course you have to have filled your graveyard. We know that if you build your deck around that concept, that it's not going to be overly challenging. I think, yeah, there's definitely something here, right? Yeah. One thing that I was thinking about with it, going back to what we talked about earlier with Souls of the Lost, where you go turn one Stitcher Supplier, turn two uh, Souls Sack Supplier, you just get six looks at milling any sort of fatty. And if you build your deck in such a way where this is maybe Squirming Emergence is the only non-permanent card in your deck, and you just mill over at Atraxa, then there you go. Good to go. That could be a turn three Atraxa. And, and you know, we're talking about Pioneer. I, I'm not 100% sure that this goes anywhere in modern because you do bring up a good point that persist is quite a bit better but it does have flexibility in the sense that it can you know return ring return it can even return leyline binding like it's just you know it's really it seems really cool yeah totally agree but wow that was a lot of cards 90 minutes i think that we got through pretty much everything we didn't get to talk about boats uh but maybe we can leave these on the list and see if we still like them next week i don't know if i liked them this week dave yeah, well, that's why I, that's why I went ahead and uh, skipped them as we it pushed us to skip them. But I do think there's a lot of cool cards in this in this set, and I, I'll be curious to see what happens as far as how this molds Pioneer. If there's a breakout card here that ends up in Modern, I don't know if we've really hit on the one that I, something that I really believe is going to make a big change in Modern quite yet. But um, I do think there's a lot of stuff that potentially could break into Pio. So yeah, I mean, we haven't seen anything with Discover. Like that really matters yet. I'm curious if they'll reveal some cards there. I, I, I like that this set is very build aroundy. It feels like an Ixalan set. It feels like, you know, sort of a not necessarily just a creature type tribal. It feels like a mechanics tribal thing. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of dinosaurs we can talk about because they're probably going to just be built around like for limited and maybe standard or something like that. But I think there's just a lot of options that we'll see or that people will try for their tribal deck or for their like sacrifice deck or their graveyard synergy deck or something like that. And that's what I think gets us cards that start breaking decks open a little bit more, make decks a little bit better, give people a little bit more cooler options. Like even if it does end up being a fight rigging deck, at least that's like a new option that people can can mess with and have some fun with. And I think those are the types of game pieces that really make me more excited than, okay, the rate's just really good on this and the ETB is bonkers. So it's going to see play. You know what I mean? Let the record show that Shane just used the words fight rigging and excited in the same sentence. So we can uh, book that <sighs> I one. I mean, he's talking about you, though. He wasn't talking about himself. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I, I speak. <laughs> You're I, excited. I speak for the trees here, you know. One thing I, I will mention before we close out the show, we didn't talk about a single card with Discover. And I think that is yeah, kind of intentional with how they designed the Discover cards. Yeah, it could either be, well, yeah, we haven't seen a lot of them, but I mean, to be completely, like, there's just no way they give us a three-minute card with Discover, too. There's, I there's, agree. I just refuse to believe that that's, that's the thing that's going to happen. So, I mean, we'll let it play out over the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. But I would be shocked if we got that card. I totally agree. I think we're all going to see all Discover four and discover three and discover five and that's going to be that's going to be it or like a 10 mana card with discover x you right. know or some stupid stuff like that yeah exactly cool another this is a, a more fun spoiler episode than i i feel like i often have honestly because like i think there's just some cool cards and some cool ideas great having you on of course doomed because i think you know you think more about the pioneer end of things than we do and i think this is again it's it's a standard set 
more to more for the pioneer end of things, but we'll keep our eyes open for some modern options. But I think that wraps up the show this week. If you have not yet, feel free to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player of choice. You get those latest episodes as soon as they drop on Thursday mornings. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to go in there, leave us a star rating, leave us a review, a comment. We always have fun reading those throughout the week. If you want to reach out to us, you can do it on Twitter at the dive down or email us at the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support us, which we appreciate, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down or check out the store for some merch at the dive down.com slash store. Heavy play, of course, our latest sponsor, get those great deck and dice boxes and play mats with the equipment system. Use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off that first order. Mana traders, of course, as well. A longtime affiliate of ours, sign up for their service using promo code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 10% off of your first two months of running those Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and rig some fights!